Welcome to Unfolding Words. I'm your host, Antracia Moorings, and every week I come to share biblical truth to offer light for your walk and life for your soul. I just want to say a big thank you to those of you who are walking through this Bible study of the book of Ruth with me. We're on chapter three this week. We're in the home stretch. And if you're joining for the first time, you can still jump in. You can purchase the workbook on Amazon.com. It's called Harvest of Kindness, a Bible study of Ruth. And go back and listen to weeks one and two, and you can still catch up. There's still time. So this week, we are going to reach a climax in chapter three as the plot thickens. And this is the chapter where there are a lot of culturally ambiguous things going on that many commentators try to make sense of. So there are a lot of different conclusions that have been made about what is going on in this chapter with Ruth being assertive with Boaz on the threshing floor and why she's laying at his feet. So we're not going to get so much into that as we're going to look at who God is in this chapter. So we're just going to understand what we can and not try to make too much sense of what we can't understand. So chapter three opens with Naomi's wish for her daughter-in-law. Naomi says to her, my daughter, shall I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Now, Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? Now, the Hebrew word for security in verse one is the same word for rest that we saw in Ruth chapter one, verse nine. This is where Naomi had hoped that her daughters-in-law would find rest and security in the home of a new husband. So this Hebrew word, Manawak, speaks of what a home should be, a place of rest and security. So what Naomi wants for Ruth is what she didn't have because her husband passed away. She wanted for her in Bethlehem, which was a foreign place to her. She wanted Bethlehem to be a place of rest and security for her. I just love the relationship between Naomi and Ruth. This mother-in-law wants for her daughter-in-law what she had for herself. She knows what it's like to have your homeland, to have your people, to be rested and have security among your people. And that's her wish for her daughter-in-law. And isn't this what God desires for us? He desires for us to have rest and security in him. So it's a double meaning to this passage here. So in an effort to supply that rest for Ruth, Naomi comes up with a plan. We don't know why she told Ruth to approach Boaz or what the uncovering of the feet exactly means, but we do know that God's plan was at play here. And we know that Naomi proved to be a very wise woman. In her advice to Ruth, Naomi showed such keen knowledge of male behavior. So remember, she's been married before, so she knows how to get a response out of a man. She instructed Ruth to make herself pretty and smell good. In other words, she said, anoint yourself and put on your best garment and to leave Boaz alone while he ate and don't make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And this is the part of the book where most teachings want women to apply this to their lives on how to get a man. And that is not what this is about. This is not a manual on how to snab your Boaz. But this is included because this is the route that God used in order for Naomi to instruct Ruth in order for the plan of redemption to happen. Ruth does what Naomi requests of her and heads to the threshing floor. 
Do you note her willingness and her obedience to her mother-in-law? It is such a beautiful relationship that they have. So the threshing floor was a smooth, flat surface that was used in the part in the process of harvesting grain. So before there was machinery, farmers used a threshing floor to separate the grain from the shaft. The harvest produce would be spread over the threshing floor and then animals, either cattle or oxen, would be led over it. They would stomp on it to crush and break the sheaves apart with their hooves. Sometimes people would use sticks to beat the sheaves apart as well, and the grain would be separated from the husks or the chaff and then tossed into the air so that the wind could blow the chaff away, leaving only the good and edible grain. This process was called winnowing. And this word chaff is used quite a bit in scripture. In the Psalms, it's referred to as a symbol of the destruction of the wicked. And John the Baptist referred to Jesus as the one who would separate the good grain from the chaff with the winnowing fork, gathering the grain into his barn and burning the chaff with unquenchable fire. We see this in Matthew 3 and 12. So it's good to know what these processes are in the Bible, because when you read the New Testament, they refer a lot to these things that happen in the Old Testament. So if you don't understand what's happening in the Old Testament and you just skip over it because you don't know what in the world a threshing floor is, when it's brought up again by Jesus in the New Testament, you won't have as full of an understanding. So it's always good just to do a little research, get some background information and understand what's going on. The threshing floor has a great amount of spiritual significance because it's a place where good and evil are separated. Ruth symbolizes the believer or spiritual Israel, but she was once a Gentile who converted to Judaism. We see that in chapter one, when she claimed Naomi's God as her God. And Boaz is a symbol of Christ, our Redeemer. When Ruth comes to the threshing floor, she's in need and has responded to Boaz's previous kindness and generosity just as Christ shows us generosity when we're in need. So she's learned that he's a good man and she can trust him. And the fact that her petition takes place at the threshing floor among the grain and the chaff is a beautiful picture of man's need for redemption and God's role as our redeemer. So the difference between the grain and the chaff between good and evil is not their good or evil works. The grain is gathered into the barn by faith. It's a gift of God. He's the one who provides righteousness and spiritual safety through Jesus Christ, our true kinsman redeemer. Don't you see these truths just leaping off of the page as you read them? This is about so much more than just the threshing floor for Boaz. It has spiritual significance for us as well. Jesus is the one who works the threshing floor, just as he's the one who treads out the grapes and the wine press in the book of Isaiah. We can see this in Isaiah chapter 63, verses 1 through 6, and in Revelation 14, verses 14 through 20. This is where he also reaps the wheat. In our worship, we meet with Christ, our kinsman redeemer, on the threshing floor, where the wheat and the chaff are separated by the word of God. The threshing floor is, serves a purpose, but so does Boaz. So many see him as a type of Christ, but I want to show you something different. He's also a new Adam. And we see this especially on this threshing floor scene in Ruth chapter three. When Boaz wakes up from a deep sleep, he's surprised to find a woman at his feet. So this brings up 
all the imagery that happened in the book of Genesis. So like I said, Boaz is a new and improved Adam. He feeds Ruth without taking the forbidden fruit. So he doesn't take Ruth before the time of marriage. He protects his future bride from lack. Remember all of the things that he gave her. He gave her an opportunity to work. He gave her security and safety. He gave her grain for her and her mother-in-law. And ultimately, he will father the seed that produces the seed who will crush the serpent's head. So the one who will ultimately crush the serpent's head comes through the lineage of Boaz and Ruth. So you may be wondering why in the world is Boaz even sleeping on the threshing floor? Did you wonder that? I hope so, because you should be asking questions of the text and wondering what is going on here. So remember, these were the days of the judges when there was a lot of political and social instability, when everyone was doing right in their own eyes. And it was not uncommon for gangs of thieves to come and steal all of the hard earned grain that a farmer had grown. So Boaz was sleeping at the threshing floor to act as a security guard of sorts for his crop against the kind of attacks that were described in 1 Samuel chapter 23. So after he has gathered all of his grain, it says that he had eaten and he was of good cheer. But don't think for one moment that Boaz is drunk. How could he guard his grain if he was drunk? That's not what's happening here. He also wouldn't have been clear-minded enough to know what Ruth was telling him and to respond to her accordingly if he was drunk. Boaz had a reason to have a merry heart. He had drinking a little wine, which made him happy, but not drunk. It was the harvest season, and it was a joyful time for the Jews. We see, we see this in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 3. And this was a time when the Jews celebrated all that God had given them through the harvest. And it says in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, celebrate the festivals of tabernacles. For seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your wine press, be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows who live in your towns. For seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. Interestingly, these verses are going to tie in with what will happen for Ruth as she obeys what Naomi told her to do. So Ruth immediately made her objective clear at the threshing floor when she requested of Boaz, spread the corner of your garment over me. She was using a term of phrase that was part of their cultural experience, something that we would not understand. So you have to do a little digging to understand what this means. So what she was saying basically was, marry me. There are other passages that express this same idea. Ezekiel 16 and 8, Deuteronomy 22 and 30, and Malachi 2 and 16. So this was a practice where a man would throw a garment over a woman that he had decided to take as his wife. This was a symbol of protection as well as a statement that the man was willing to enter into a sexual consummation with the woman that he was choosing. And the, the Hebrew word here for the corner of the garment is the word kanaf, which means wing and refers to a literal wing and the corner of the garment. So there's like a play of words here. And we see this in chapter two as well, 
where Boaz told Ruth that she had taken refuge under the wings of Yahweh and he prayed that Yahweh would bless her. So Boaz is able to fulfill this because he's able to take Ruth under his wings, both literally and figuratively. So after Ruth makes her request, Boaz responds favorably to her. And then he gives her instructions. He says he's willing to help her. But we have to note that there is no hint of anything sexual going on between them in these chapters. Remember, I talked about the kindness that is just oozing out of this book. We see it evident here. Boaz says, you did better in this last kindness than your first. So earlier, Boaz was very impressed with Ruth's willingness to leave her home and follow Naomi. He was impressed by her loyalty. And now he's impressed by her decision to seek a redeemer to provide an heir for Naomi. So by not going after young men, Ruth could have pursued remarriage with other younger men. But instead, she chose to fulfill the wishes of her mother-in-law. She looked for a marriage that would benefit Naomi and the family of her late husband. We see that Boaz agreed to be the kinsman redeemer. So we should all as readers breathe a big sigh of relief because this is the moment that the book has been building up to. But there's a little glitch here. There is a closer relative that can be a kinsman redeemer and he has to get all of that sorted out before they can even think about getting married. So up until this point, everything had gone the way Naomi had planned. But this closer relative has the first right to act as the redeemer, according to the Leverite law. So we talked about the Leverite law briefly before, but here's a little bit of a refresher. So the Leverite law for marriage was the obligation of a surviving brother to marry the widow of his brother if he died without having children. The idea was that the widow would marry a brother-in-law rather than anyone outside of the family. The oldest of the surviving brothers had the first obligation to perform this commandment of the Leverite law, which also allowed him to inherit all of his dead brother's property. So the idea behind this was that the surviving brother would produce a child or a legacy to carry on the name of his dead brother so that his dead brother's name would not be blotted out of Israel. And the role of the kinsman redeemer was more than just about marriage and land redemption. There's a lot of other duties and roles that the kinsman redeemer can play. So outside of the book of Leviticus, we see that the kinsman redeemer can track down and execute murderers of near relatives. This is seen in the book of Numbers, chapter 35, verse 12. And verses 19 through 27, also Deuteronomy 19 and 6 and verses 11 through 13. The kinsman redeemer could also receive a payback of money on behalf of a deceased victim of a crime. This is in Numbers 5 and 8. And the kinsman redeemer could ensure that justice was served in a lawsuit involving a relative. And this is seen in Psalms 119, 154 and Jeremiah 50 and 34. So Boaz, again, shows just how much of a worthy man he is. Remember, he was called that in the last chapter. His character is above reproach because he's willing to be the kinsman redeemer. And also he behaves in such a way, in such a righteous way towards Ruth at the threshing floor. So he tells her to stay the night. And the Hebrew term for that means 
spend the night. And this does not include, as I mentioned, sexual relations. He likely wants her to be safe because he doesn't want her walking out in the middle of the night by herself. He doesn't know what is going to happen to her. Then Boaz tells Ruth to leave quietly in the morning so that she does not make a big scene and everyone sees what she's doing. Boaz does not want Ruth to be viewed as a prostitute here who is visiting a man at the threshing floor. And you can see a reference to this in Hosea 9 and 1. He knows that her presence at the threshing floor overnight and then leaving early in the morning could have been misunderstood and he wants to avoid he wanted her to avoid having any gossip spoken about her or there to be any speculation about her. So as this scene wraps up, Boaz gives Ruth six ephahs of barley. He just keeps filling her up and she in turn keeps returning full to Naomi. This is restoration in action. So remember the beginning of the book, Naomi said, call me Mara because I'm bitter. And she said she had returned back to her hometown empty. Now she is continually being filled up. The emptiness from the beginning of the book is slowly fading away. And this is imagery that points as at what is to come in the next chapter. And this is my favorite part of chapter three. When Naomi tells Ruth, when she turns back, she asks what happened. So Ruth gives her a rundown of everything that has happened so far. And in verse number 18, Naomi says, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. Wouldn't we all do well to follow that advice? Wait until you learn how the matter turns out before you start fretting, before you start working up an anxious panic attack. And I'm speaking to myself here, most of all. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. And then she adds, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is exactly how we should view Jesus. He will settle the matters of our day. He will work it out for us. We don't have to go about and move pieces on the chessboard and try to figure things out. God will work it out. And that's exactly what Naomi instructs Ruth to do, to wait until she learns how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter. Thank you, Jesus, for being that man who settles the matter. So that's it for chapter three. I pray that this study is really edifying you and getting you to slow down and take a closer look at scripture. Next week, we'll be wrapping up with chapter four. In the meantime, you can join me for a chat in my Facebook group. Facebook group is called Unfolding Words. You can find it at facebook.com slash groups slash unfolding words. And we'll be gathering on Thursday, September 26th. That's the Thursday following the drop of this podcast at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific. So if you have questions, you want to give some feedback, share something great that you've learned, that's what this time is for. And also, Again, if you haven't purchased the workbook, you can do so at Amazon.com. It's called Harvest of Kindness, a Bible study of Ruth. And that's it for this week's episode. I will see you back here next Monday. And until then, I pray that you have a most blessed week. Thank you for listening. Until next time, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.